knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is uh, your host, Dan the Fitness Man. What's up? July 13th. That's when this podcast is dropping. Hopefully, you're living right. Things are coming together for you. It's an exciting time of year, and uh, we're bringing on a fellow Washingtonian, Scott Salmon. He's a coastie. That's my nice term for people that live on the west side of Washington. And as a coastie, he knows a thing or two about rosies, so we're going to dive into rosies a little bit. Also, he's a phenomenal shed hunter, which is really cool to talk about him finding his best set to date. And he also has a really crazy experience surprise while shed hunting that you got to hear. That's towards the end. We talk a little bit about his background. We actually get into firefighting a little bit and kind of I go on a rant that's probably pretty good so i should forewarn all firefighters listening that hey i got nothing but love for you i think i convey that but uh we talk about the whole interviewing process kind of funny uh and then we talk about his big bull he killed in the blues washington has a really awesome limited entry area uh, in the south eastern corner and we talk all about that um, i've hunted there he's hunted there it's it's legit so thanks for coming on scott let's get to that and uh this podcast is definitely, without a doubt, 100% brought to you by the Vortex Optics. The Vortex Optics company as a whole has an awesome VIP warranty. It's veteran-owned. But what I use from, from Vortex is I'm not much of a rifle hunter. I do have a you know a rifle scope from them, but I use their, their Razer HD 4000 laser rangefinder. I've given one away at every elk-shaped camp I've ever done. I've given a, one away on Instagram couple on YouTube. I've gotten I've gotten them out and they've been super supportive. Uh, I have the UHD 10x42s. I think that's arguably some of the best glass for the dollar and I think that'll do everything that you'll ever need for elk hunting. I do take a spotter with me in areas that I'm going to see bulls and, and want to get footage. So I do pack a spotter and it is a 65 millimeter and it is an angled I had the phone scope attachment, and I run all that on um, a tripod from Sportsman's that I can run three different. 
I basically have one head, but I have the attachments to all those. So I like glassing off binos big time. If you haven't tried that, I think that'll elevate your game, especially if you're going to hang out in an area in glass for a while. You should definitely look into the Outdoorsman attachment, hashtag not sponsored, but it's probably the lightest aluminum ones out there. I have the smaller one. I think it just weighs oh two something two pounds and it's close to three pounds but uh, anywho thank you vortex we have a discount code on their apparel and i wasn't sure why they wanted me to promote their apparel until i just got on their website the other day and their soft goods side of thing is finally like super legit in fact i ordered a couple hoodies that i'm going to definitely wear on hunts this year and they're lightweight and i can go hood up which is something that i really like doing Anyways, thank you, Vortex, for bringing, making this whole thing possible. Thank you, Kinetrek Boots. I use the Mountain Guides base maps. Download your offline maps today. Pick a couple different layers that you want to use and, and go from there. Matthews, is, we're giving away a VXR, and we're going to do that this week. So be on the lookout for that. We'll post on socials. We're giving away a VXR to whoever is uh been to elk shape camp so i think we did five camps this year and 20 athletes so one out of 100 chance to win a vxr of your choice uh what we're going to do is have lakewood products provide a double bow case and put a matthews logo on there and ship the bow in that case to you we're also giving away a baku e-bike mule bike i love e-bikes where legal i think they make a lot of sense they're quiet they're efficient no exhaust, uh, wear legal, they're awesome. It's been a game changer for me. It will be in my trailer when I go elk hunting. Can't wait to give away an e-bike. If you want an e-bike, use the discount code ELKSHAPE400 and save $400. What I would do is take that $400, buy a backup battery. I always carry an extra battery when I go anywhere. And you can get the trailer or an accessory that I have the trailer. I think that's a good one and go from there. Just going to run down my list of thank yous to Grim Reaper Broadheads, Micro Hades 3-Blade. Check that out. That's a chisel tip, bone-crushing beast of a broadhead fixed for life, especially on elk. Phelps Game Calls, giving everyone a beagle tube at the camps. Thank you so much. I like the gray. Sorry, Jason. Sorry, Dirk. I'm a gray guy or an orange guy, so I'm a little bit different, but that's what uh, I like. Wilderness Athlete has the exclusive discount code for you guys, Elk Shape 30. Save 30% off your first purchase. Get your trail packs now of Hydrate and Recover as well as Energy and Focus. Sick of Gear gives away three core lightweight hoodies at every camp, so that's 15 core lightweight hoodies that I've given out this year thanks to Sika, we appreciate you climate does have a call to action i use their sleeping pad and their tent you can use a discount code elkshape20 and save 20 percent uh hamski hooked up uh arrow rest for everyone at the camp so i was able to give away one arrow rest at every camp that was awesome easton arrows access not sponsored but that's what i use people ask so i use the match grade 340 spine i cut them as short as possible and then tight spot quivers they gave me one tight spot to give away at each camp so thank you tight spot same with black gold i got to give out the verdict ascent i like black gold because they have lifetime warranty you can customize them on your website and they have the easiest third access adjustment and if you don't know what that is you need to watch our youtube videos elk shape youtube channel where we cover all that kind of stuff off-grid food co has supplied all the campers with some samples to take in the backcountry and that's what i use in the backcountry because their macronutrient profile are elk shape hq approved crossover symmetry for bulletproofing your shoulders especially you aging archers black ovis 20 percent off use a discount code elk shape and then finally 
Uh, I got to give a shout out to Last Chance Archery. I got the bow press, the easy press in my home office. I'm not a pro, but I'm not an amateur. I'm getting better every day, and I like building my bows. If you have a peep twist or something, you can throw it in there, twist the string, no problem. Uh, DIY, I love that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, pretty stoked about that. I made a post recently about what kind of gun I carry in the backcountry. I like bear spray and a handgun, by the way, and I would like the bear spray more than anything. I know I could actually hit something with it, but I do carry a Glock. It's a 23-40 cal, and I use this Scout chest holder from Northwest Retention, and that guy contacted me and said, hey, if you want to give your listeners a discount, I can do that. So the discount code is ELKSHAPE, and it will save you shipping and handling. If you're looking for a chest holder, I put my vinyl harness right over the top. Have no issues. So that's what I got. Let's get to Scott Salmon. I'll catch you at the end of the show. Good morning. How are you, bud? Yeah, I work at Costco. So with all this craziness, I've been up at 1 and at 2 in the morning. So this is sleeping in for me. <laughs> What do you do for Costco? Um, I've done a little bit of everything, but uh, right now I just drive a forklift. I get out of there at 1030 in the morning and get to go home and enjoy my day. That's really cool. You know, I used to stock for Costco right out of high school, get there at 3, peace out by 11, go to school, go to the gym, go home, repeat. It's a good place to work, dude. This will be 17 years for me. I started right out of college. I went to Western and graduated from there and actually uh, was trying to become a firefighter and uh, went through paramedic school the whole nine yards. And, and just at the time when, you know, I was trying to get hired, I was actually number one on Vancouver's list down here for a while, but they just weren't hiring. So we had our second kid and just decided to uh, walk away from it for a little while, still considering going back, but uh, Costco's done well for me for sure. Is all your paramedic stuff current? Um, or would it be like, oh, I need more hours to renew and stuff like that, test taking, yada, yada, yada? I'd have to go back through everything again. Sucks, but I mean, everything changes, you know, on a monthly or yearly basis anyway. So it would obviously be a lot easier if I went back just because of the, you know, the past. But the desire to be a firefighter. So, so. You know, it kind of eats me away a little bit that I haven't achieved that goal. Don't feel bad, dude. So I I became a, quote, firefighter, did it for uh, over a year, and I freaking quit. I put my two weeks notice in because I was I was doing that as a, they hired part-time firefighters at this one district, and I thought that would be just perfect. I could, you know, pull one 24-hour shift a week, run the gym, do elk shape. This would be great and get the benefits and and maybe make it a career. And after a year, I was just like, mm, "This not my style. I'm too uh, I'm too me to be a firefighter," which is a nice way of saying I think I'm an asshole. <laughs> I just don't think I take orders very well. I don't think uh, like I don't play games. I don't play games. I don't do politics. I don't do I'm not diplomatic. I'm just a straight shooter. And um, about, gosh, you know, Scott, I think January, I was, I actually was pursuing a career in firefighting. Uh, a chief called me and he was like, the chief chief. He was like, hey, we're hiring eight. I'm the chief here now. I'm like, and this guy's like a diehard shed hunter. He's got this chief guy's I'm not going to say his name. He's got a, a shop, I think a 30 by 40 shop to the ceiling of sheds. 
He's the guy that is a diehard uh, elk whitetail hunter, but he burns two weeks vacation to shed hunt the blues. Well, he used to, not anymore. Like the dude would, you know, he was there, boot tracks in the blues. That's this guy picking up ridiculous bone. And you you killed a bull in the in the blues, and so have I. So we're gonna get into that. Uh, but long story longer is, dude, he got my hopes up. And obviously, he can't control the hiring process. So there was a 200 applicants or 300 applicants. I can't remember. It was a lot. And it was like a walk-in, 10-minute interview in front of a panel. I, I passed that one. It's like, great. There was a physical one. And uh, the physical was always a pass-fail, but they kept track of the time. I had the best time out of however many people there was. 300 people had the best time, was in good shape at the not that I'm in bad shape now, but I was in good shape, ready to rock. And then, so I'm thinking, okay, go to the, the oral board. The oral board is two 20-minute interviews, which you've obviously done. And they're back-to-back. And there's a whole group of people asking you the most stupidest questions. Listen, all you firefighter, hire people. Why do you go to the internet and pick out the most generic, stupid questions? Why don't you get to know your candidate and ask them some real questions Tell us a time, Scott, when you, when a supervisor said something that you didn't agree with, how did you handle it? Like, just the most cookie-cutter questions. I'm just bitter because I didn't get onto the chief's interview, and I had the chief actually call me and tell me to put in. So I don't know how to get higher as a firefighter, but I'm glad I did because that would have probably – I wouldn't be hunting this year. I'd be a probationary firefighter. You're not, you're not doing anything for a year. I wouldn't be doing the Elk Collective, which I'll tell you that about that in a second. And I wouldn't be doing Elk Shape. I'd be a firefighter. So things happen for a reason, man. Um, so I don't know what to tell you. I-, I have a lot of buddies that are firefighters. Like you said, it's, you know, the political side of stuff, all that. It's probably a good thing that you're doing your own own gig, which there's something to be said about that um, and appreciated about that. But uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> wholeheartedly <laughs> it's a it's a crazy process i don't understand it i don't think they get the best candidates personally and i think a lot of them know that but i think everybody's so afraid to get sued these days that that's kind of the way they go yeah and they're susceptible for litigation if i was a chief i'd be like okay i got three questions are you a bow hunter yes check Tell me about a time. The tell me about your worst pack out elk hunting, and you would answer that question probably really well. And I'd be like, skip question three. You're hired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you'd need some tough dudes on the fire line. You're gonna see some. I mean, did you get a chance to volunteer? Yeah, for eleven years. Actually, in college, I lived at the fire station up in Bellingham, and uh, yeah, I did it. I started in 2001 as a volunteer and did it until 2000. Oh, let's see. Uh, I was like 2010, 11, right in there. It's crazy to me. Like a guy like you, number one on the list, has like they dire straits for paramedics, not EMTs. Those are a dime a dozen, but paramedics, family man. So um, mature adult. It was just the fire. That one was a hiring for a, but still, yeah, I agree with you. I still have the, 
but yeah, it was, it was tough on me. Honestly, I went through, you know, walking away after all that time and all that training and, uh, but you know what? It actually, I think has made me a better person. You know, I definitely had a little bit of growing up to do during that time. Um, and you know, I played collegiate all the way, you know, soccer all my life, you know, high up, played college soccer. And, uh, you know, it's like I was saying earlier, it's just that one thing that's kind of eating me away. I hate not being successful at something. And like, so like I talked to my wife, actually it was, I brought it up like a couple months ago, you know, it's like, it's like that one thing that I haven't been able to achieve that I would like to achieve. So that's tough, man. I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, and I got like mad respect for firefighters because the ones that I do know, they're, they're so talented, they're hardworking and people don't know behind the scenes of number one, the crap that they see, the stuff that you probably saw, just even volunteering. There's some stuff you can't forget and there's a form of PTSD. And then the firefighters are super smart. There's so many things they need to know. It's not, you don't put out fires very often. And when you do, you need to be on your A game, but you are, you are there helping people when they're at their worst. It's a, it's a really admirable career. So I don't want to come across as pretentious or looking down. I actually look up to firefighters quite a bit, to be honest with you. I have great friends that are, I just, just talking to you and, and seeing a little bit about what you're all about. I don't know why you wouldn't be an amazing candidate, but Hey man, control what you can control. So let's get into it. Today we are we're recording with Scott Salmon. He is a coastie, is what I call Scott. Uh, he lives on the west side of Washington, and uh, he's a family man. He's blue collar, and he is hardworking. So you are the perfect candidate to come on, Scott. How are you? I'm awesome. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. So you have you been on podcast before? Um, I did Cody Rich's podcast uh, back in 2016 or 17. It was kind of about the blues uh, and my uncle's hunt at the time. We had pretty amazing four days of killing just some amazing bulls in those that amount of time. But um, other than that, no, I haven't. How'd you do in the Washington State draws this year? Um, I struck out. So did my son. I think we had like over 30 permits in and uh, we didn't get one. Nice. So it <laughs> doesn't surprise me. No. You're friends with Jason Phelps? Yes. Yep, that... I know Jason. I know a lot of those guys for sure. Um, yeah. You saw that he drew a mountain goat tag? I did. That's pretty awesome. Dude, his season's so stacked. I don't know how he's going to keep his real job and run Phelps game calls and, uh, and work with us on the Elk Collective and uh, be a husband. And I'm just, he's loaded, man. He's loaded down this year. It's going to be, it's going to be a great season for him. I'm stoked. Uh, so you drew a blues tag in 2016, I take it? I did, yes. What, uh, rifle or archery? Muzzle loader. Ooh. <laughs> that's a sick tag for those. That's, uh, this, the blues has come up on the last couple of my podcasts. It's the southeastern corner of Washington. It's very limited entry, very stingy with tags, and it's really cool country because you just take mountains and flip them upside down. You're on top. Everything's down in the bottom. It's all breaks, and it's awesome, awesome elk habitat. 
had um, Chris Jackson on the podcast a couple episodes ago. He owns Solvid, the solo camera stuff, and he's the dude who found Steve Ranella's bull uh, while hunting um, Mountain View. And yeah, he's a great. We just talked all about the blues, so I guess we better rehash that hunt a little bit. Give us the Cliff Notes version of this epic muzzleloader. Give us the dates that you were there, the scouting. And how it went down. And for those that have heard this already, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I want to hear this. <laughs> um, so I drew with 11 points. I got lucky. Um, I chose to go the muzzleloader just because I think over in the blues, the I had October 1st through the 10th. And uh, I just felt like from what I saw research-wise and from my, at the time, little experience over there, um that those were really especially the first like three or four days of that season was just it was amazing um so i decided to go that route and at the time i believe muzzleloader was actually a little bit easier to draw we actually had a few more tags floating around in the in, over there in the blues but um got lucky i was actually <laughs> it was cr- crazy i was at uh, my son's donut for dad day at school um when i found out and uh, I remember because my wife is a school teacher. She was there too. And I had to go bring her my, bring her her keys from her car because I had to get something out of it. And that's when I found out. I looked at my phone because everybody was, my phone was blown up from all my friends, you know, to go check. And I remember walking back in to her classroom with the keys and I was shaking. Like my hands were like, <laughs> were, were shaking because I found out that I drew the, uh, actually the West went off, uh, Blues Tag, Muzzy. And uh, I was super stoked. Um, and it, the crazy thing about the whole thing, there's like more to the story than just that is that, uh, um, we got married, uh, anyways, kind of lost sight in my fitness side of things actually got up to like 270 pounds. How tall are you? Crazy. Six, three. Okay. Which I was, you know, it was big. I just, you know, just got lazy, content you know, had a few kids, you know, and just kind of lost sight and things. And, uh, it was funny because, uh, do you know, Corey Miller from triple X? Yes. Which, um, anyways, I walked into his shop one day and he asked if I wanted to run an ultra and I thought about it for about 10 seconds and said, yes. So during this whole time, you know, I draw the tag, we run an ultra, uh, actually the whole process has gotten me back into, you know, it started me getting back into the fitness level that I am now. Um, you know, and, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, and then through that process, you know, that was, you know, I met Lampers and Pyburn who are really good friends of mine, you know, so it was, I always had this huge passion to hunt, but, uh, you know, the backpack thing was pretty new to me and, uh, that's kind of what started, you know, the, where I'm at right now, you know, just, you know, I was able to draw that tag. I had a friend, you know, push me into an ultra and here we go. You know, I get to go hunt the blues and, uh, you know, being some, you know, the shape that that tag, you know, you probably need to be into to actually do that tag justice. How much how much wilderness is in the west? I've only been in the east, Winaha. Uh pretty much all wilderness. There's only roads on the boundary and there's one set of roads that goes out towards Twin Buttes. Gotcha. The rest of it's 
all wilderness. Okay. So, anyways, find out. Super stoked. I uh, I get that tag. Um, so it was. You know, I literally, my wife comes home that day and I just ask for forgiveness right off the bat because I want to be gone a lot. You know, I spent a lot of time scouting. I set a bunch of cameras, just learned as much about the unit as I humanly possibly could. Um, but that same day when the draws came out, my uncle, who got me into hunting a long time ago, draws a very coveted Yakima herd rut tag. And, uh, so the seasons are at the exact same time, which is awesome. But at the same time, like I always wanted to help him cause he's never shot a branch bull before. So I always wanted to be there and help him with that, you know? So I was a little conflicted in a way, but, uh, super stoked for the, you know, the whole situation. Um, so after basically my wife gave me a blessing to do what I needed to do, spent, I don't know how many miles I put on driving over to uh, the blues, but it was probably every, it wasn't every weekend, but it was definitely every other weekend. Um, made some contacts with uh, like Luke Kirik and those guys that have been in there a long time. And they gave me some really good information. Uh, Joey Pyburn uh, hunted it the year before or two years before, I think. So I was just picking everybody's brain um, and just, trying to weed out some bulls in there and figure out, you know, have a game plan basically for opening day. Um, I went over three days early and just went from ridge to ridge and glass from dust to dawn until, you know, I could find something that, uh, you know, that I wanted to pursue. Um, I had five bulls through scouting that I would say went, you know, between 360 to 380. Um, there was one giant that probably was a little bigger than that, that I couldn't relocate. I'm pretty sure he actually went back into Oregon, but I don't know that hundred um, percent. But the bull that I ended up shooting, I actually did not find until the day before the season. Uh, me and my buddy went down a ridge uh, early in the morning, literally came around this corner, looked across this drainage and, Boom, there's a bull pushing his cows on the hillside. Uh, we were able to get some video of him. Um, and I decided that was the bull that I was going to go after opening morning. Um, so we spent the rest of the day just like studying maps. Uh, we drove all over the place, actually went down and uh, a couple of ridges away from him just to like, you know, sit in there and try to figure out wind and, you know, just kind of just be in there a little bit. So first thing in the morning, we went in with headlamps and a uh, uh, couple of ridges of the way, we had to drop down far enough just to make sure the, you know, the wind was right. And we'd come over the, come up over the ridge. And I told my buddy, I let out a locate bugle to see if he was there. And he screamed his head off down there. He didn't move. And uh, that it was pretty much game on from that point. Um, so I just kind of worked my way down into the drainage after that bull. And uh, he, we kind of, we did a little different tactic. Um, those bulls, you know, those real mature herd bulls, you know, they can be pretty hard to get away from their cows. And uh, what we did, we just kind of worked together down the drain. He kept the bull going 
uh, just kept him all riled up, basically. And I was able to sneak down this creek drainage, uh, kept the wind good, uh, got within 90 yards of him. And I have a muzzleloader, and I was pretty, you know, I shot it a lot, but I told myself I was going to try to at least, you know, be 60 or, you know, 50 to 60 yards on the shot. I mean, I had no problem with 100 yards, you know, in the right situation, but right. it's just my comfort, right? And I just figured, in my opinion, those elk deserve, you know, the best shot that you can give them, you know, like, I just don't want to be shooting to shoot. And uh, so, anyways, I get down there and I actually, I see him and he's chasing around some cows. And I'm 90 yards from him. He comes, he's frontal, you know, and he's down there screaming his head off. I'm watching the whole thing, which was just amazing because, you know, it was just daylight. Like, it was cool out. You know, you could see the bugle and the breath and, like, I wish I had had on video i replayed in my head all the time but it's just a cool situation and a couple of his cows bedded down and so he decided to go back up and there's some cows above him smaller bulls and uh he went up checked them he came back down to those cows well the cows get up and they get up and walk over the ridge and he follows them i'm like what the heck you know i'm like why did he just leave you know i'm like 90 yards i was hoping to you know get a shot well I just made like a split second decision. I get up and I take off running. There was like a game trail that kind of took me. There was, it was like he was sitting on a bench or a little finger. And it kind of led to right where he, I last saw him. And as I'm running, I'm like, just kind of, I gave out, I can't remember. It was like four or five or six, just, you know, cow calls. Like he left, you know, I was just trying to make it sound like he left, you know, a cow. And so I get to right where he was, he was standing and, uh, I'm just, I just sit there and I'm listening, trying to relocate him, you know, and all of a sudden I hear commotion and I look and here come the cows back up to where he was. And they're like single file line on a game trail above me at like 30 yards. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, he's going to come right behind him. And he did came came right behind him. He ended up coming off the game trail to about 40 yards or so. And I remember I cow called, he stopped. He was super, it was super steep in there and he was standing in some huckleberry brush. And I just like, I didn't even like, I just remember I brought it down to where his body was in the huckleberry brush as far as I could came down on his shoulder, came off a little bit, touched off and he literally fell right there. Oh, didn't, didn't move a bone. The, bell, that's the, the best he was yeah i was like i couldn't believe it. i was like did this just happen you know like and it was the bull that you know we saw the night before and like i was super pumped but i remember i was just sitting there shaking and you know you get those coveted tags right and it comes with it in my opinion a little bit of pressure in a way and uh especially after all the you know work that i put into it and just you know i just remember standing there and i walked up and i literally laid next to him and just was like you know i remember thanking him i remember just all these emotions going through my head like it was a relief and but yeah it was such a steep angle that it came out just below his backstrap on the other side and just you know it took out long on this side and obviously went through and spined him but 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's legit. That country is unforgiving. Uh, it is scouting season at the time of this podcast, so I think we should talk a little bit about your approach. Maybe tell us how many trips-ish you went in there, if you did any Google Earth first, how you kind of go about sorting data, which cameras you put out, where you put out, why, how, and then maybe just take that to any unit in the world for elk, like what are some best practices for scouting, whether it be digital or boots on the ground? So um, a lot of, at least over there, you know, those, the wintering range and where those bulls bulls rut are, you know, kind of different. They move quite a ways and they're, to me, they're constantly moving. Um, They're in and out of those four units that are real close there from what I've learned. Uh, But what I, basically what I did, I just picked out, I went and bought uh, the, the Primo truth cams. Mm They're like 30 bucks. I just bought a bunch of them um, and I just put them up. I packed in a bunch of, uh, you know, attract in basically and um, hung those $30 cams. I had a couple more expensive cams, but I just needed to like kind of see what the bull was. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for just like stellar picks and, you know, that type of thing. And they actually worked out really good. Um, they're, you know, for 30 bucks, they did the job, you know, um, I, there was one spot I kind of created a wallow, which was just in like this little Crick, which turned into one of my better cameras. But at first it was probably my worst camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, how I picked out, like I would, I like, I, it seems like I get a lot more activity if I can find a wet area and create something. Um, a lot of the guys over there just use ridge tops, you know, and dry, like a dry, you know, just on top basically. And, you know, they're trying to catch those bulls that are just, you know, cruising the ridge or so on and so forth. But I've had more success in if I can find like a wet marshy area and like create, create a, like a wallow or whatever. It seems like the salt and that type of stuff uh, just stays in there a lot better. And they seem to use it more on a yearly basis than you know, if you just pick a random spot on a, on a ridge top. So I actually set up a couple of them were just like, uh, were random spots. Like I saw a bunch of rubs along a road driving in and, uh, it was kind of a, uh, saddle basically. I ended up towards the end. Actually, there was a bull in there that was definitely on my list for the first, you know, couple days uh he was a nice bull he's probably like in the 350 class but he didn't hang very far off the road he just kind of dove off into like halfway down into a canyon during the day and then he'd come up and you know do his rutting stuff in the evening basically um but yeah i just um i got a tablet um i got one of those readers so i'd go over i i'm pretty sure i went over about every other weekend I get days off during the week. So when I say weekend, my weekends are like Thursday, Friday. Perfect. Exactly. And I just started basically, you know, combing, you know, picking through stuff. I went down every trailhead I could possibly go down, you know, just to learn it. 
understand, you know, kind of the terrain and just started basically piecing together how, and I, my goal was to have five bulls that I could pick from. Yeah. And then I would just basically, you know, if one didn't pan out, you know, I'd go to the next, you know, and I was, I was hoping if I had that, that I could at least get one of the five. And sorting through pictures and so on and so forth. But what's crazy, I did all that research, right? And literally had no idea that that existed until the day before. And that was just because I went out to, you know, glass in an area because um, some of the archery guys that are in there uh, told me that there was a good bull in there that I hadn't seen. And I just wanted to see if I could get, you know, lay eyes on it. And I was lucky enough to find him, you know, that morning. Well, that's really cool. So, is this bull pretty typical or non-typical? I've seen both in there. Uh, he's non-typical. He's an eight by nine. Oh, um, he's got like a three thirty, yeah, three thirty frame. Uh, he's got splits up top. It just he's just a cool bull. Um, um, not a huge, like I said, frame, but just a lot of math, and he has all kinds of just stickers and you know stuff coming off. So, do you when you went in? To the, uh, I guess we're okay to talk a lot about the unit since it is what it is. You can't really just go get that tag. You know, it takes a lot of luck. Were you using horses? Did you do a spike camp, a base camp? Did you come in from, did you have to walk through the east to get to the west? Did you come back through the bottom? Like, how did you hunt that rough country every day? I didn't use horses. Um, I had... Um, so my, the guy I was hunting with at the time came over, I had another, uh, his dad, his brother was over there. They were actually hunting general spike. Um, and so we had five guys and then there was a guy that I met, his name is Travis Greenwood. I still owe him to this day, but, uh, I met him spring bear hunting he lived in Tri-Cities. We came in, cons- or we kept in touch. And he's like, oh, yeah, if you shoot a bull, I'll just bomb over there and help you, you know, pack it out or whatever. So what's funny about the whole thing is, I mean, I had a good little crew there uh, to help me pack it out. And it was just, there was just three of us that hunted that day. Um, when I shot him, uh, we were able to get up, contact uh, my buddy's dad and his brother and then I actually was able to call Travis and I told him and he drove all the way from Tri-Cities almost beat my buddy's dad and his brother to where the elk was and he strapped on probably 70 pounds and hauled it up to the truck for me like it was one of the yes exactly wow is like I said I owe that man a lot I was able to get that bull out in one trip with all the guys, I took the high, the, I, I did three quarters of the Cape because I just wanted to make sure I had enough. Mm-hmm. And then I had, and that was a lot of weight. And then everybody else, we deboned it all and, you know, packed it out. Let's go back to kind of like your elk hunting career. You mentioned spring bear. That's, that's tugging at my heartstrings. I love spring bear. I know you are a Roosevelt guy through and through so i want to get into that but let's kind of go over spring bear washington has an abundance of bears but they're pretty stingy they don't do over-the-counter spring bear which is kind of still blows my mind given our bear population but how many spring permits have you had in hand two 
Okay. Were they for the same country? Uh, yes, in there. Okay, cool. So had you hunted bears prior to having that elk tag? I drew a spring bear tag the same year. Well, that's pretty fortunate for scouting and learning the country. Right. That's cool. Uh, what's spring bear like in there uh, as far as snowpack? I know those tops of those breaks get grass pretty good. Uh, it's probably pretty friendly for glassing, but uh, finding bears is usually not the difficult challenge when it comes to bear hunting folks. It's getting to them. They move so much. Take us through a little bit of spring bear in the blues. That was a whole nother learning experience, you know, during that time, but I was able to learn some of the country because of it. Um, obviously I wasn't able to, the problem with that is it's very, there's not very many roads in there. Um, a lot of it's on the outskirts of all of it. So you gotta be willing to literally, you know, just drop off from the top down into the bottoms. And especially early, it seems like, uh, those bears are concentrated in those creek bottoms because that's where a lot of the feed is. Um, but you know, shed hunting, I start typically seeing bears. I'm not saying just in that area, you know, but, uh, middle of March, I saw bears this year. So those bears start poking their heads out, you know, pretty early, actually. It's not the huge concentration that, you know, most people want, but, um, I find, especially early in the season, those creek bottoms are a key aspect to hunting those bears until, you know, they start spreading out and they follow that, you know, and start eating on the onions and yeah. So the wild onions and, uh, the, the bears kind of have it made in that country as far as like, they're going to have eventual green grass on top and that grass doesn't stay green throughout the year. It gets pretty, it's pretty high deserty vibe in there, but in those creek bottoms, man, they got great lush grasses and vegetation early on. They can follow the snow line up and then they can transition like, a lot of the bears in Idaho where they can transition to huckleberries, choke cherries, uh, elderberries. Um, guys are killing elk so they can scavenge some protein there. They can feed on elk calves and fawns. I mean, those bears kind of have it made in there. It's a really good bear habitat. Do you know how many actual bear permits they give out-ish? Is it per unit or the whole area? Um, Just in the... They have one. I think the Dayton has five permits. I believe that Buchanan has five permits. The Winnehaw has 45 or 50 permits total. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. And I don't know the rest of the outskirts of those units, but I know it's gotten super popular the last four years with all this backpack hunting, backcountry push. It's definitely a lot harder to draw on them probably going to get cursed at for even talking about it, but that's all right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's a, it's a fun hunt. Definitely a lot of color phase bears, lots of chocolate, lots of, uh, like to find a black, true black bear over there is probably harder than finding a color phase. Mm-hmm. But, um, I just enjoy being over in that country, um, anywhere from shed hunting to spring bear to, you know, to luckily being able to hunt in one year. Uh, but I've had buddies that have drawn over the last few years too. What's your game plan for 2020 elk season? What tags do you have? What over the counter? How are you going to spread yourself out? 
I'm waiting on Idaho to see if I get anything there. I didn't draw anything in Washington. Uh, my hunting buddy and his father-in-law drew unit. Well, we'll just say the Bighorns tag in Wyoming. Smart. They, yeah. Uh, they have two uh, tags in there. Um, so I'm going to spend two weeks helping them over in Wyoming. It's just that's what we do. You know, whoever draws, we just everybody, you know, it's a it's just the way that we kind of hunt. But I'm going to hunt muzzleloader on the west side in Washington. Um, I shot a really good bull last year doing that. And uh, it's a small season, but the seasons that we get this year, man, should be pretty, pretty good. Our elk numbers here on the west side are not what they used to be, but there's still some really good bulls around. If you put in a little effort and a little bit of time and kind of think outside the box a little bit. And then um, I'm going to do a November Idaho deer hunt. Um, and then I, my son got his uh, hunting license last year. So my main focus is to during that, you know, October, early November time, I'm going to see if I can get him his first year. It's definitely uh, on my uh, top of my list this year. Mm. How old is he? He's 12. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm excited for those days. Your Western Washington Muzzy, what's the opener for that? Uh, I believe it's the third this year. Oh, that is good. That is real good. Do you use a muzzleloader or a bow? I go with muzzleloader. Have you had any issues with muzzleloaders? And it's I, they just scare me as far as, you know, all the things that can go wrong. And Washington's got a pretty tight grip on the laws. I don't. They went to the new those new uh, caps. I I don't have much. I use that uh, solo hunter uh, sleeve over my over my muzzleloader. So if it's super rainy out, I just leave that on there until you know I kind of get into the situation and uh, I have to pull it off. But it's helped a lot keeping moisture out. I've been very fortunate with it. It's been really good to me. Um, I'm super particular about you know making sure every night that I get discharged it started all over you know the powder and all that and just keep it as dry as humanly possible but there's a good trick that I learned from a buddy you put that nipple on the end of your muzzleloader and you'll actually see it it'll balloon a little bit especially if it's you know it gets sunny or whatever and it means you have a good seal within the system so if you watch that nipple on the end of your muzzleloader and it kind of keeps a little bubble on the tip of it you usually means you're pretty uh, solid for keeping all the moisture out of it okay so you hunt washington a west side muzzy tag it's going to be crowded no matter what you do so what are some of the things that you key in on when you're hunting these heavily hunted high pressure areas where there, you know there's some bulls in there but these bulls are making it they make it past seasons they don't get killed and those are the ones you're going after how are you getting in on these elk when you have 30 trucks at the trailhead i think that's the key right there 30 trucks at the trailhead i I was thinking about this actually you know before we started it my big thing is thinking outside the box why does everybody park at the trailhead you know that's everybody's kind of like you know sheep they want to follow whatever you know they're going to go in the trailhead and that so forth my some of my best stuff is you know i do my research on google earth um i study maps religiously 
and I find areas not at the trailhead. You know, maybe I might be driving up to the trailhead and I just park the truck and go across cross country, which that's exactly what I did this this year. Is uh, there's just a little pull out. There was some country about four miles up in this drainage off the road that I wanted to get to. So I just started early in the morning with a headlamp and uh, worked my way up into that area. And uh, yeah, luckily enough, it panned out. I was able to shoot that. It was probably like a 276 by six Rosie, you know, just a nice, nice bowl for, you know, for Washington over the counter, you know. And I think that's one of the biggest keys to my success is I don't always stay in the same area. A lot of people will go in and spend, you know, four or five nights maybe on their back or they'll constantly hunt the same areas. It's just like, you know, I said about the blues, I had five bulls and whatever, five different areas, you know, I start checking them off the list and that's what I do. I have probably five, six, seven areas that, I think will produce and I just start moving around, checking them off the area. And I just figure if I do that, cover as much area as I can. And it might be different units, you know, um, eventually, you know, one of them is going to pan out. Oh, certainly. When you're in these high pressure areas, are you hearing um, Doug Fluties for lack of a better term? Are you spike camping, bivy hunting? Um, How do you, stay away from people but find elk and stay close to elk but don't get too close to elk because you know that's delicate i started out uh we i was on my backpack um just i was tent um the first three days but i just wasn't seeing what you know we needed to see basically um, we saw, I saw one small bull and a few cows, just nothing, you know, enough to keep me there in an area that's, you know, panned out over the years. And, uh, I ended up packing my stuff up and I just moved areas and, um, I was looking at the weather. We got lucky. And if you look in my picture of my bull, there's some white stuff that's on the ground mm-hmm. and that was a big choice in where I went and hunted that day because even if they weren't talking, uh, I was able to cut tracks and just, that was my goal that day was cut tracks. And I was literally just going to hike my butt off until I found him, you know? Um, I went into an area that I love it. It's, it's a beautiful, big timber, just meadows, you know, just the perfect, what you'd think elk habitat, but, there's just not a ton of elk in there, but typically uh, when I do see elk in there, they are bulls for some reason. I don't know why, but with that, there has to be others. And I just told myself, you know, I'm going to start early in the morning, get up in there, try to cut some tracks. And uh, I'm literally just going to follow those tracks until I, you know, get into them. You know, I was able, because it was fresh, the snow was, that I was able to, you know, I was just, you could, you could, for the most part, keeping the wind correct, you could move pretty quickly. And that's what I did. And uh, I got into an area where these two bulls that I was following, it was funny to, it was fun to follow them because you could, you were, you could, it all, it told a story as you're going around in the mountain. Uh, you could see they'd stop and they'd feed on mushrooms. And then there would be a rub and they would sit there and rub on the tree, you know, because 
there was hair and dirt all on top of the snow. You know, it was it was cool to see how they were were interacting that day. And then they ended up meeting in with actually a big group of elk. And uh, I, it was kind of tough to figure out, you know, there were so many tracks. And I remember I just went on the outskirts with them uh, of the herd. And uh, I actually let out a locate bugle and a bull responded instantly. And that was the bull I ended up killing. He came in probably within, I don't know, a minute or two. And I ended up uh, shooting him about 20 yards right in the chest. But I definitely think that, you know, you got to, you know, like you're asking, you know, how you're going to be successful on the West side with all those people is just, you, got, you know, we just got to think a little bit outside the box or what the weather's going to do. You know, that white stuff is to me is a gift. You know, if you can go find some of that, you know, you can, you know, and able to put on some boot miles should be able to, you know, cut some tracks and lead you into at least an opportunity. Yeah, certainly. So you said at one point you were at 270, you got into ultra marathons, which means you're running past a marathon. 270 is a lot of weight to hit the ground. There's a lot of ground reaction forces when you're running and it's not super easy on your body. How did you progressively overload over time and periodize um, what did you do nutrition? Did you do any strength training and, and ruck training? Because, you know, about this time of year, people start understanding that they need to lose some winter weight or they need to get in shape for hunting season if they're going to have success. And so go over some of the things that you've done that have worked for you. Everybody, I, I'm a passionate shed hunter, um, but I mostly am passionate about it because it keeps me in shape throughout the year. That's one of the big reasons that I do it, you know, I'm able to stay on my backpack. I'm able to, you know, do the exact same things that I'm doing hunting other than I'm just not shooting something. You know what I mean? That's a way that I do it. That's just my thing that I enjoy. And I also enjoy running, but like what you're asking about, uh, yeah, I got to 270 pounds. Um, so I just basically, I started small, um, I started, I got in the gym, I changed my whole diet. I actually went keto during that time. Um, I started, it was pretty easy to trim, you know, water weight and water mass fairly quickly, honestly. Um, but I just started small. Like I went in, there was a stair, like an elliptical machine at the gym. So I'd go in there for and make myself do it for 30 minutes, you know, and I'd do it as hard as I could do it, sweat as much as possible. And then I would, you know, do a circuit lifting weights, you know, and then finish with cardio. And I did that every other day, you know, and I just was adamant about getting into the gym. You know, I'd force myself no matter what, even with kids and a wife. And I just told myself, you know, I had to make a change in my, my life, you know, and if I wanted to continue or you know, achieve the hunting goals that, you know, I'm starting to be able to achieve because of my fitness level. I had to be due diligent about getting in there and making this change in my life. And so I just started small, you know, and then I'd work up and eventually I, you know, I progressed to running. I started, I'd run two miles and then 
uh, on a Monday and then the next day or on a Wednesday, I'd run four miles and I did that for a week. Yeah. Or uh, sorry for like two, three weeks. And I just kept doing that. And then I just slowly progressed to, I went to four and six miles and then, you know, as I just kept building my endurance up for that <clears throat> and got to the point where I needed to start stretching it out, especially if I wanted to run that ultra. And I live in a pretty cool place. Um, I'm able to, there's lots of logging roads and stuff, just literally pretty much right out of my house. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was my son at this time was in preschool and I had to pick him up at 1130. So there was an 18 mile loop. Um, that if I started at my house, went up into logging roads, went across the ridge and then back, it was 18 miles. So um, that's what I'd do. I'd wake up at 5:30 in the morning and uh, I'd take off and I knew I had to be back here at the house at a certain time. So it pushed me, you know, cause I have to go pick up my son. And uh, um, at the end, that's the loop I was doing once a week. Um, and I, I think the longest one before I did the ultra was like 22 miles. And I told myself once I got to there, it's like, you know, in my opinion, it's like you get to that, you know, 22, 24 miles, what's another eight miles, you know, or whatever you're going to, you know, finish it. And that's just how I went about it. Um, and I'm thankful, you know, during that time I was able to, you know, um, put like, you know, Lampers in my life and Pyburn and those guys. And, you know, they really pushed me, uh, they're able to help me with, you know, my diet and, you know, I just, I literally made a life change and I'm still doing all this to this day, you know? Um, and I can honestly say just, you know, Corey asking me and me drawing that tag in 16, you know, like it's honestly, it's more, yeah, it was special. I got to, you know, kill a, just an amazing bull. Um, but it was also, to me, it was kind of life-changing in a way, you know? Yeah, you got to got your life back, got your priorities, and it's not about you, man. You have a wife and two boys. It's important. It's imperative. Uh, do you walk around at the same weight throughout the year now? Um, what's a good weight for you where you can shed hunt all day, backpack, elk hunt, and do all the things you're passionate about? I... I started that whole thing at 270 pounds and I run the ultra at 205 pounds. Wow. And right. And right now I, um, my weight varies between 210 and 215 pounds, which I feel is a very comfortable weight for myself. I feel really good. Um, I just, that's kind of what I shoot to maintain. Um, I don't lift a ton. Um, I do mostly for just like toning and that type of thing. I'm not looking to put on a bunch of muscle mass. Um, I'm just trying to stay lean, I guess, just for, you know, what the type of things that I do. Um, it's just, I guess that's just my choice. Uh, but like I got in with the exo death height guys. So um, we do that every year. Um, this year we're going to do a hundred miles in three days, I guess is the goal. So When's that? Uh, uh, it's the 10th or the 11th of uh, right in there of July. Wow, that's legit. 100 miles, three days with a with a backpack and or with a backpack and some gear and 
foot care is going to be important. Trekking poles is going to be your lifeline and, uh, you know, trustworthy peers. That's good, man. Well, I wanted to end the podcast. I know you're a shed hunting fool and you have a crazy story about shed hunting this year. Let's, I think you know what I'm talking about. Let's hear about that. It's always, everybody's got a bucket list, right? Um, that's kind of my thing is like, I have a bucket list and I try to at least check off one or two of them a year, you know, like one of them was to kill a 350 bull and that was a bucket list. I was able to, you know, kill a nicer bull even than that. You know, I just, it, you know, I set goals for myself, you know, and, uh, one was to run an ultra, you know, that type of thing. Well, it was always on a bucket list to find a set of sheds that was 380 or bigger. And so I've always every year, I mean, I, it's not like I shed hunt every day, but during that time, it's pretty much twice, twice a week or three times a week, or I'll take an extra day and I go, you know, I was my son, my youngest, my nine-year-old actually goes with me quite a bit. He's a, he's a go-getter, but I always had an area picked out um, that I always wanted to get into to look for sheds. And it was that it's actually, it was 15 miles from, from the nearest road. There's just a little, you know, by studying maps and, you know, shed hunting the area over the years. Um, it was always a place that I wanted to get to, but I just, ne- for some reason, just never did it. Well, this year I was like, I told my buddy who shed hunts with me, I was like, where you are going to that spot. Like, you know, I want to go look, I want to go see. And, uh, so we headed there. Um, we got all the way in there. It took us, I don't know, about four hours to get in there or so. And, uh, I remember we were, he found one going up, going up into the area. Um, when we got up on top where I wanted to go, he found a really nice, uh, like a 320, 330, seven by seven side. We didn't find the other side. And, uh, so we set up camp that, that, or when dropped our packs, kind of set up camp, uh, ate some lunch and we decided to go out that night to, you know, see what else we could find. I remember doing a big loop back through, uh, the area and, uh, I just remember, you know, I'm walking along and my buddy's found everything so far. He found a few more even before that. And I hadn't found anything yet. I just remember like right on the edge of this timber, I kind of look up and I'm like, oh, there's a shed, you know? So I walk up, I'm like, ooh, that's a good shed. And uh, I flip it over and I'm like, holy smokes. I was like, like, you know, you kind of, when you see something that's, that's big or, you know, that's where like i just started like i was like whoa man and then at the same time i'm kind of looking for the other side you know and i'm taking my backpack off and i remember putting on my backpack and i'm like i gotta find the other side of this and i'm like sitting there thinking like where if i was the bull where would i go you know and i ended up picking i just stayed on the ridge and i walked another 50 yards and the other side is staying there or laying there and nice i remember just screaming I told my buddies, like, I'm done. I was like, I don't need to find any other sheds other than five points for the rest of my life. Like, you know, and I knew they were big. And uh, we get back to camp and we're sitting there looking at them. And, uh, you know, it was definitely the bucket list set of sheds. And uh, anyways, we got them home after that trip and I taped them out. And uh, with a 40 inch spread, they'd be like 395. 
Holy smokes. Yeah, it's a good set. That was a crazy trip. And we even found that wolf den. We found nine pups and that female wolf uh, back in there in Washington, too. We were able to kind of, we took a couple of pics and some video of nine wolf puppies that their eyes weren't even open. And did you see the mom? I did. Yeah. yeah she was right at the den when I first saw her. And I kind of, I didn't know at the time that there was pups. I yelled at her, you know, and she kind of boogered off. And as I'm walking up, I'm like, huh, you know, just kind of thinking a little bit. It's like, there could be pups. And as I got closer, I could hear them and kind of poked our heads around and looked. And yeah, they're, I mean, they couldn't have been more than two or three days old. I mean, their eyes were shut. It was nuts. Did you pass that information on to whoever? I passed it on. They said when they were doing their elk counts this year that they saw four wolves in that area and the female wasn't collared uh they were surprised on how big the litter was because typically a wolf litter is like three to five pups but uh yeah just took some pictures and walked away you know there's a lot of emotions in that find for sure but uh it's definitely not my issue that was created you know what i mean but it was cool um to you know see something like that but kind of scary at the same point that you know wolves can have nine pups and especially you know with our herds and how thick and everything that goes on in washington like it scares me a little bit on where our elk numbers and the possibility of what's going to happen is going to just like uh everybody just like jake doing all this research of late you know hopefully we can we'll see try to make a change for the better for everybody. Well, Scott Salmon, thanks for coming on today. Uh, I wanted to plug your social so people can follow your awesome adventures and, and maybe reach out if they have questions or draw a similar tag or need to lose some weight or get into ultras or need some shed hunting tips. You're a great resource for spring bear. Uh, where can people find you? I am King Salmon 12 on Instagram. Um, just Scott Salmon on Facebook. Other than that, I'm not on any other social media stuff. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much, uh, send me a message on either of them. I'd be more than happy to chat. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your time, bud. Thanks for coming on, man. Another blue collar, badass elk hunter, family man, and, uh, just, just the kind of people, salt of the earth, we like to talk to. Guys, uh, you got a couple weeks left of, of you know preparation and scouting when this thing drops, so don't squander a second. Make sure you're doing something every day in the name of better elk hunting. We appreciate your support. You have a lot of options for podcasts. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys, that was a fun little episode with Scott. Super laid back, cool, cool character. Great guy from Washington, family man. You can tell he's just a diehard shed hunter, elk hunter, loves to be outdoors, works hard, total blue collar. Those are my kind of people. I appreciate you guys choosing Elk Shape Podcast. You have a lot of podcasts out there. So when you listen to ours, we just wanted to say thank you and appreciate it. Do us a favor, tell a friend, give us a review on iTunes. That stuff matters. And uh, we appreciate your support. And in the meantime, keep working hard towards your goals. September is here. What you do now going forward 
can and will have an impact on your season. So remember, separation is in the preparation.